Hi, everybody. This is Mark Lewandowski with Mind Your Business. What is Mind Your Business? It is a website full of great content and podcasts that come from real world experience, not a bunch of crap you read in a textbook. Listen, folks, this is 30 years of me running businesses, businesses that I started from scratch or that I was hired to help run. This is real world great nuggets of knowledge. The whole idea of Mind Your Business is for you to build your personal capacity. It's your ability to make an impact in your world, whether it's an organization, whether it's a club, whether it's within your family, or anything you do, can you make an impact? And the answer is yes, but every day you got to get better. You've got to get stronger. It's just like being an athlete. You, you build your muscles, you build your endurance. Well, in business, you build your knowledge, you build your experience, you build your expertise, and then you take that to the marketplace. That is how you build your capacity. Now, who should be listening? There's not a soul out there that can't benefit from this content, but let me tell you, out of 10 people, everybody's going to get a different nugget out of every piece of content. So when you're listening to this, listen for the stuff that really resonates for you. And then send me a message. Connect with us. Be engaged. Let us know what's working for you and what you need more of. This is going to be a great, great adventure for all of us. And I'm very excited that you're a part of what we're doing. Hi, everybody. This is Mark. I want to thank you for listening in to this content. The first time I shared this was at a group called the Sona Symposium in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2017. The audience was full of executive directors and clinical directors for hospices all over the United States. These organizations have one simple focus. They want to be excellent. So I shared with them some keys to really driving organizational excellence. And now I want to share them with you. Recently, a friend called and invited me to a lunch and I was very excited about going to the luncheon because the speaker was going to be somebody really special. It was somebody that everybody in our community knew of and had heard speak and his content was great every time. So I was really excited until at the very beginning of the presentation, he jumped up and he said, excellence starts with you. And I thought, oh boy, that's where he lost me. Right at the beginning, he lost me at the very beginning with excellence starts with you. It doesn't. Excellence does not start with you because excellence is not something you can begin and then hand off. You either have it or you don't have it. You cannot hold excellence for a moment and then pass it on to the next person. It is not real that way. It's fake. It's it's a pile of crap. You can't start with excellence and hand it off. Excellence is not, it does not start with you. It is because of you. Today, we're going to talk about you becoming the guiding light within your organization. The guiding light is that person that By their very nature, who they are, other people want to follow them. They are excellent because of who they are. They don't manufacture it. They don't make it up. They don't have a cute little statement or a quip. It's not because they dress so nice that day. It's because of who they are. 
Being the guiding light within an organization is not because of anything other than exactly who you are. So excellence in your organization does not start with you. It is because of you. Now let's talk about what kind of organizations that could be. It could be anything. Some of you are business owners. Some of you have a large organization. Some have a small. Some are entrepreneurs and you work all by yourself. Some of you run or manage a department. But I want to, I want to pause and let you think about it this way. What if the only person you manage is you and you manage yourself within a job? That is still important. You still become the guiding light. Excellence within what you do is still because of you. It doesn't start with you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of excellence within the organization that you control and you influence. But before I talk about some of the components of training, I really want to talk about you. The reason I believe you should listen to this is you by your nature, provide exceptional value. Now, what does that mean? By nature, I provide value. I promise you, if you're listening to this content, you are a person who wants to provide value and wants to grow as an individual. You should leverage that. You should understand that you're bringing value to your employer, to yourself, to your organization, to your nonprofit, anywhere you touch. Next, you have ideas and and insights that should be used within any kind of organization. Why do I say that? Let's say that you're an exceptional communicator. As an exceptional communicator, you can take an idea and transfer it to another person. Therefore, your ideas and your insights are very valuable. But what if you're that person that stays very quiet, very soft, very subtle? You don't speak up at meetings. Let me tell you about you. You're one of my favorite people to have on my team. And the reason you're one of my favorites is that people that listen have great insight and great understanding. Next, you are special to your organization, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's your company, your department, your maybe if you're a standalone, all-by-yourself entrepreneur, even within that small organization, you are special and therefore appreciated. I want to make sure that you know that you are a special person and that this content is for you because organizational excellence within any organization is because of the person you're crafting to be. Think about this. Recently, I had a person come up to me. I had spoken at a chamber event. And at the end of the speech, you know, people come up and they say hello and they visit. It's a very nice environment. And everybody's got something warm and wonderful to say. I've never had a speech in which somebody came up and said, boy, you suck and I hate you. I mean, most of the people that think I suck and they hate me, they leave out the back door without saying anything, thank God. But in this case, these people came up to me and they said, listen, I want to talk to you. Our company is really struggling. Would you ever exchange what we do? for guidance and consultation. I said, sure, what do you do? They said, well, we own a pest control service. I said, well, that's fine. I'm a homeowner. I'll tell you what I'll do. You come and do pest control services for three months for me, and I will exchange an hour of my time for those three months of pest control, and I will give you guidance, and I'll give you direction. So they came in, and they said, 
Well, here's the thing. We're about a $250,000 a year company, and we bought our competitor down the street, and he's about $150,000. And we believe that between the two fifty and the one fifty, we'd have a $400,000 company. A year later now, we're right back to where we started at $250,000, and we bought this guy's company. And I paused, and I looked at him, and I said, may I have your permission to speak frankly? And they said, sure. And I said, okay. The problem is, you're a $250,000 person trying to run a $400,000 organization. See, my friends, if organizational excellence is because of you, then you have to grow as a person and become stronger and stronger and more influential and more seasoned, more professional, more insightful. And the greater you grow, the greater your organization can grow. If you fail to grow, you fail to grow your organization. Your organization only reflects how great you are. So don't be a person seeking $400,000 when all you've done is do the work to be $250,000. So let's talk a little bit about you before we get going. I want to know. Have you ever considered what your strengths are? Have you considered your strengths? You know, when I sit back, I think about what are my strengths. It's not because I'm arrogant or I'm cocky or I'm super into myself. It's because I want to know what it is that I've done well that I can leverage. Number two, have you considered your weaknesses? I know that one of my weaknesses is when I have a conversation, I'm very eager to share my point of view without listening carefully to the other person. So because I know that's my weakness, I'm focused on that. I'm intense about trying to eliminate that. And finally, not only do you need to know your strengths and not only do you need to know your weaknesses, but do you have a person you trust to hold the mirror? The person that holds the mirror is the person you trust that will come up to you privately and say, okay, how did I do? Tell me the truth. Don't you find it kind of superficial when somebody comes up to you after a presentation and says, oh my God, you were fabulous. You were just incredible. And you know you weren't. What you really want is somebody that says, okay, hold the mirror up. How did I do? You know, the other day I had a meeting in which a first time, a first timer was running the meeting. And at the very end of the meeting, he texted and he said, will you hold the mirror? And I said, oh my God, that's fantastic. So I called him right away and I said, yes, I will hold the mirror. And here's what it looks like. First of all, you did an amazing job in running the meeting, but you used large words, big, sophisticated language, which I'm not sure everybody is attuned to that. And next At the end of the meeting, you didn't wrap up clearly identifying what every person's follow-up responsibilities were. So in the future, if you would continue to run that good a meeting and that you'd use kind of dummy down your language and then next go back over everybody's responsibilities, that would have been one of the best run meetings I've ever seen. That, my friends, is holding the mirror. You need to hold the mirror for others and allow them to hold the mirror for you. Now that we've gotten ready, now that we've laid the groundwork, 
I'm about to tell you how you're going to build within your organization a great, a great support system of excellence because of who you are. So today we're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk about focus. We're going to talk about alignment. We're going to talk about investment. And we're going to talk about reward. So focus, alignment, investment, and reward. Those are the four items that will be the source of our discussion about how do you build excellence within your organization. It's because of you, not starting with you. It's because of you. So these are things that you've got to understand and completely and fully engage in your life. Let's start with what is focus. I want to go back to another story. When my kids were growing up, we were very involved in golf. We loved golf, and we would go to the local country club. And, of course, every time you go up, you get out of the car, you grab your bags, you put them on a cart, you go in to check in. And behind the counter is always some really nice young man or young woman who's an assistant pro, and they check you in and make sure you know the right time and sell you golf balls or a golf glove or whatever. But behind the counter where we were growing up was a guy named Brandon. And Brandon was really special. He was great. What a nice, nice guy. For several years, I knew Brandon. And one thing I didn't know about Brandon is why did he have an eye? One of his eyes didn't work well. And it never looked straight at me till one day we were having a, like a member guest and I was playing with Brandon. He was the pro, I guess it was a member in a pro event and I was playing with Brandon and we got to talking about depth perception. And he looked at me and said, Mark, you know that I don't really know the distance. I have to measure it and be very careful because only having one eye, I lack depth perception. And I said, gosh, I didn't know that. I never knew that. How you get depth perception is two eyes working collaboratively together to give you a feel of how far away something is. See, to have full focus within your organization, to really clearly see the future, you need to have depth perception like, like in vision. Envision depth perception requires two eyes. In focus, it requires two items. And those two items, equally shared working together, are a mission and a value proposition. Now, you may have heard of mission and value proposition in the past, but I'm going to tell you, I, I, wanted, I want you to consider them as one tool that allows you and the people you influence within your organization to have clear focus on where you're going as an organization. What is a mission? A mission is simply what you're all about. Let me give you a couple of examples of some really good missions. And I'm I'm actually going to tell you a mission statement. And then we're going to guess about where that mission statement comes from, what company. The first one goes like this. Spreading the power of optimism. Ooh, I love that one. I'm really jealous that I didn't think of it, but you knew who thought, who thought of it? Life is good. The people that sell clothing, you know, with, I, th- I think the guy's name is Jake. Jake is the character on all the life is good and he's camping, he's throwing frisbees and he's riding a bicycle and he's hiking and jogging. I love their stuff. But what are they all about? Their mission is to spread the power of optimism. I love that. It's, it's just the right kind of mission. Let's read another one. 
to become the world's most respected service brand. Who is it that wants to become the world's most respected service brand? It's American Express. Doesn't that fit them perfectly? See, these are really good mission statements. These are, these are some of the very best that you can find out. Let's, let's look at another one. To create and promote great tasting, healthy, and organic beverages. So who is it that's out there trying to create and promote great tasting, healthy, and organic beverages? It's honest tea. Honest tea. I love that. I love that mission. And finally, here's one. We care for people so they can be their best. That's Hyatt Restaurant. I mean, oh, I was going to say Hyatt Restaurant. Check. Hyatt Hotels brand. Hyatt Hotels, they say we care for people so they can be their best. That is fantastic. You know, you need to know, do you have a clear mission that states exactly what you are all about? You know, sometimes mission statements are so long and so detailed and so flowering, so full of crap. I like one that says something as simple as spreading the power of optimism. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. I'll tell you why that's so important. In order to craft a great mission statement, you must be able to get other people to understand it. In order to create a great mission statement, it must be, and I want you to think about this, it must be simple. In other words, easy for somebody to remember. You're everybody in your organization, everybody in your club, everybody in your department, everybody in your company ought to be able to memorize it. It it ought to be so simple that it's memorized by everyone. You walk up and you say, Jordan, what is our mission statement? And bam. Jordan is able to deliver that mission statement clearly and succinctly and right like it's right on the, right on the tip of their tongue. Next, your mission has got to be pervasive. In other words, it's got to be everywhere. It's got to be on your letterhead. It's got to be on tables. It's got to be on the refrigerator in the, in the, in the, uh, in the break room. Your mission has got to be so throughout the whole organization that people not only understand it, they don't forget it and they know how important it is to you. Next, it's got to be repeatable. What we say, it's one of the schools I studied it. They call it the Catholic. It's Catholic. It's repeatable everywhere you go. Like the Catholic faith, wherever you go, the Catholic faith is consistent. Just like I could have said McDonald's, just like McDonald's. You know, you may love McDonald's. You may hate McDonald's. You may be indifferent about McDonald's. But I tell you, the one thing you know is it doesn't matter where you go. If you're at McDonald's, you know the quality of the food. You know exactly what you're going to get. And it rarely changes. So if you're going to have a great mission, it must be simple, it must be pervasive, it must be repeatable, and finally, it must be sustainable. In other words, it's got to be able to last for years. Don't make your mission so simple that you can overcome it or achieve it, and now it's no longer successful. So look back at Life is Good, spreading the power of optimism. How do they do that right now? They do it through clothing with logos and fun images. Now, is there a possibility that someday they might migrate outside of clothing? Absolutely. 
But that will change their value proposition, not their mission. Their mission is spreading optimism, and they may decide to do it in a different way. And aha, <laughs> that brings up that next item, that other element of focus. That focus is what is your value proposition? The value proposition has got to be what makes you special. It's not what you're all about. It's what makes you special. What if within your t- industry, there are 15, in my case, probably 25 competitors? I've got to know what it is that makes us special. I could say something like this. We use technology so intuitively that we solve problems before the client even knows they have them. Yes, yes, absolutely. That could be a value proposition. But what we've chosen in our organization to be our value proposition is two words, Paul passionate. Paul passionate is our value proposition. We want to be so crazy for our customers that we're Paul passionate. And now everybody in our organization knows exactly how to explain that. That's the person that stays up late, comes in early, cares so deeply about the customer, cares so deeply that he looks at every invoice personally before they go out, or builds an algorithm to make sure that all of the invoices have a fair and repeatable price. That is Paul Passion. And that, my friends, is a repeatable, sustainable, Catholic-like, and simple value proposition. So in order to really have focus within your organization and to be able to transfer that to other people so they engage, you've got to have two items, a great mission and a corresponding value proposition. Now, let's stop for a minute, and I want to tell you a little bonus. Everybody needs a bonus, and you deserve one. Here's the bonus. The best value propositions in the world are as rare as hen's teeth. Now, that's kind of funny. I jokingly use the phrase rare as hen's teeth. It's an old phrase my grandma used to use, and we're we're getting rid of so many of those old cool phrases that I wanted to bring one up. In fact, I'm going to try to use them more often within these knowledge nuggets that we have online. But a black hole value proposition is something that means that what you do is so special that people are drawn to you and you didn't even have to do any effort to get them there. Now think about what a a black hole is out in space. A black hole in space is something that light, it's so attractive, It, it, it sucks in everything. Even light, the reason that the hole is black is it's so powerful as an attractive force that it sucks light into it. And so therefore it is black. So a black hole value proposition, and I've only seen a few of these in my entire career, is something so special that it sucks people to it. They don't even have to, you don't even have to market it that much. You don't even have to sell it. You don't have to beg people. You don't give a discount because your value proposition is so great that it draws people to you. My friends, if you find a company that you believe has such a value proposition that it's what you call a black hole value proposition, you want to be engaged in that. Next, if your organization doesn't have a black hole proposition, value prop, and you're not trying to seek one, then you just plain suck. Come on. 
get off that chair and start thinking, what is it that we could do that would be so special that it would draw people to you? That, my friends, is a black hole value proposition, and it is really, really special. So let me tell you, in the very first thing, the very first item about building organizational excellence, you can't do this by yourself. You've got to transfer focus to the people that are around you. Focus is essential. And in order to transfer focus, you've got to focus on a, a, a mission statement and a corresponding value proposition. Now let's move on to the second item. I told you that in order to build greatness within your organization, in order to really have organizational excellence, it really is because of you. It doesn't start with you. It's because of you. And one of the becauses of you is alignment. You must find an alignment between all of your constituents and yourself. Now, who are the constituents in your organization? Well, in my organization, my constituents, I tried to break them into four categories. My employees, my vendors, my customers, and the owners. Employees, vendors, customers, and owners. And that's what I'm really focusing my attention on right now is saying to you, if you're going to have an organization of real excellence and it's because of you, then you've got to have alignment between yourself and your constituents. Let's see what that means as an employee. As, as an employer, I need to make sure that my employees are aligned in me and I've got to be a 100% aligned with my mission. What are we all about? And they've also got to be a hundred percent aligned with my value proposition. How are we going to do it? What makes us special? Okay. So next vendors, I negotiate and build relationships with vendors that sell me all sorts of things. They, in my business, they supply prescription drugs or they provide information services or they help me with data movement. They're critical to the blocking and tackling the success of my business. They're not part of my mission and they're not really what makes me special, but they're important to that. So a vendor has to be a little bit aligned with my vision but very much aligned with my value proposition. See, if my value proposition as an organization is to be Paul passionate, then I've got to make sure that my vendors are lining up with me in a way that I can deliver that kind of passionate service. My vendor doesn't have to align with my mission statement, what I'm all about, but they, by golly, they've got to line up with what makes me special in the marketplace. So for example, let's say that I'm building cars and what makes me special in the marketplace is how fast my car goes zero to 60. And let's say that just as an example that I'm Porsche. And so a really important piece of my value proposition is the fastest zero to 60 in all of car production. Okay. Then if one of my vendors is a tire company, but they don't make a tire with a soft enough tread to really give me grip, and I spend half a second spinning out, then that vendor does not align with my value proposition. Therefore, that vendor is not a good alignment. 
So you see, they don't have to buy into my mission, but by God, they've got to align with my value proposition. The vendors I choose have to line up with my value prop. Now let's talk about customers. Same thing. My customers don't really care about my stated mission. So say, for example, spreading the power of optimism. I don't have to have my customers say, oh, I love that mission. They just have to line up with my value proposition that I'm giving the, I'm building the very best line of optimist clothing. That's what they've got to line up with is my customers have to, they have to get passionate about my, my value proposition, not my mission. But my owners, now that's the last constituent group I want you to think about. My owners really have to lie, align with my mission statement. What is my long-term goal as an organization? Because my value proposition is simply a tactic that I'm using right now to be successful in the market. So realize that when you as a leader, you as the person driving excellence, when you're deciding what do you focus on, either your mission or your value proposition, with your employees, you've got to focus on mission. And with your owners, you've got to focus on mission. But with your vendors and your customers, you focus your attention on your value proposition. Now let's talk. The next one I'm going to talk about is investment, but I've got to lead you into this first. So Let's say that I'm trying to find the very best vendor to help me be successful in my value proposition. And I've got two vendors and I'm looking at company A and company B. Company A is the cheapest and company B is a little more expensive, but boy, their product is fantastic. And company B's product is really going to help me with my value proposition. The difference between the price of A and the price of B times the amount of times you're going to use it is an investment in your value proposition. In other words, let's go back to Porsche. If Porsche, if I'm going to buy Bridgestone tires for $400 per tire, I got $1,600 invested in each car, or I'm going to buy Michelin at $800 per tire, but the value proposition is so much better, the difference between the Bridgestone and the Michelin, that additional $1,200 per car. Oh, sorry. For those of you mathematicians, I did it wrong. $1,600 per car. That's an investment in my value proposition. You have to see that. If you're strongly committed to your value proposition, don't look for the cheapest vendor. Look for one that aligns with you and understand that what you've done is you've made an investment in your future through the alignment with the best vendors. Okay, let's continue to talk about investment because it's really important that we understand that if you're really going to build an organization of excellence and it's because of you, then you've got to invest in a whole bunch of areas of your organization. Let's start. We started by talking about you're going to invest in leveraging your, your constituents, your owners, your employees, your vendors, your customers. But next, you're going to invest in your staff. Boy, I'll tell you, you know it is tough to find great people. And when you find them, you feel very, very fortunate. In fact, you almost feel lucky, like you've rolled the dice and come up with a great number when you find a great employee. Employees are tough. You got to train them. You got to build technology around them. You got to support them with equipment. But let me tell you, when you find really good people, you've got to invest in technology, in equipment, 
and training to leverage those great hires. Too many people that I'm aware aware of or around completely bitch and gripe and moan about their staff because they did not invest enough money in them to be successful. They just don't see it. They think, well, this person's coming out of college or I took them for this competitor down the street or, you know, they moved in and I thought they were great or I met them at a civic organization or a church and I hired them. Guys, hiring people is not enough. That's not strategic investment. That's not enough. You leverage great hires with training, technology, and equipment. If you're not leveraging those hires with the supportive tools, you're crazy. Let me give you an example. You know, I I went to... uh, college when I was very young. In fact, I was probably a little too young to go to college. And so I wasn't quite as smart as I should have been. I made a lot of mistakes, but one of the great mistakes I made was a really funny story. It's it's not something I didn't get arrested at any really and get in trouble, but I uh, I was so embarrassed by my lack of knowledge or my ignorance that I remember this like it was yesterday. My parents had a small cabin at the lake and a bunch of us guys from our group, you know, we'll call it a fraternity or a floor, a wing, whatever you want to call it. We're, a bunch of the guys from our group were going to go all weekend to the lake to jump off the cliffs, go skiing and swim. And I asked my mom and dad if it would be okay if we stayed at their condo or their cabin. And my parents said, absolutely, it's okay. In fact, we'll feed you if all of you guys will give us two hours of work on Sunday to remove some logs from our yard, you know, trees that have fallen or trees that we knocked down so we have a clear view of the lake. And I said, absolutely, that sounds great. So we enjoyed Friday night and Saturday. We jumped off the cliffs and went to the lake. We had a great time. Sunday morning came and after we got them, had a big breakfast of pancakes. My mom and dad said, okay, it's time for you to pay your the dues for coming here. And so we were clearing logs off the property and there was this great, big, massive trunk of a tree. I mean, it had to be 35 feet long and eight feet around. It was a big, big tree. And being that we were young and full of energy and full of arrogance and had lifted a lot of weights, we went down about four or five of us. We grabbed the bottom of that tree and we lifted. I remember just straining as hard as I could to lift that damn tree and that thing wouldn't move a bit. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, God, this thing's so heavy. This thing will never, never be moved. And I remember our frustration as we were sweating and trying to move that stupid log. And this guy that was in our group, who was in our fraternity, he was an engineering major. And none of us really liked him that much. He was a little bit weird. He looked at me and he shook his head with such disapproval, like I was the biggest idiot he'd ever met. And he walked down slowly and he reached under the deck of the cabin and he grabbed a long two by four and then he slid a rock right next to the tree and using that two by four on that rock and leverage by himself, he rolled that massive tree all the way down the hill while the four of us muscle heads stood there looking like complete idiots. I felt like the biggest goofball And I feel like that in business sometimes when I hire an employee and I don't give them the tools, the training and the support so they can be successful like 
leverage, like sliding that two by four up against that rock and rolling that tree down the hill. If you hire great people and you give them the tools, they're going to roll that tree right down the hill in your company, in your organization. Now, it's not really a tree they're going to roll. They're going to close deals. They're going to make an impact because you've given them the tools for leverage. But not only do you have to invest in them with tools and technology, you got to invest in them with compensation. So the next thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about rewards. Every organization, in order to be great, has to have a reward system. And too often, people I deal with foolishly set up rewards and they don't understand that what you measure, you will get. And that with every decision, there are unintended consequences. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's start with rewards. Short-term goals should always be rewarded with small rewards. Long-term goals should have big rewards. Very simple. If you get the right people and you're investing in your team and you're giving them the right tools, technology, and resources, then they're going to be successful. Short rewards, like how many calls in a given week, how many new contacts, how many new closes of business. You do short rewards with short goals, like bonuses, commissions, a vacation day, a special celebratory meal. Short Term goals are never rewarded with long-term rewards. It just doesn't make sense. See, if you've got a short goal and you say, all right, guys, I'm going to go, we're going to go really hard this quarter and we're going to make our number. And when we make our number, I'm going to give everybody a five-year contract and a big hairy pay raise. Well, you just took a short-term goal and you partnered it with a long-term reward. You were a fool. You just really screwed up. Don't do that because as soon as you give somebody for three months of work a five year, a five year contract with a big, a big salary increase, you just decreased all their motivation to be great again. Short term goals have small rewards. Long term goals have big rewards. So if somebody repeatedly year after year delivers value, that's when they get a big salary increase. That's when somebody that delivers constant excellence gets a new vehicle that you're going to allow them to drive. That's when you reward them with a change of title. That's when you reward them with equity. Now, that's my last one before we get moving. So many people want equity so quickly. Equity is an amount of ownership in the organization. And too often, people that are eager run to give others equity. Now, I have an old philosophy that I share with my family that goes like this, that ownership stays within the family, profits we share liberally. Or sometimes we say it the other way, that share profits liberally, but ownership stays in the family. So you better have somebody really special that has delivered value year after year after year before you stop and give them equity or sell them equity. Because once you've sold them equity, it's theirs. They've got it. There's no, there's no turning back around. There's no change of course. You have set sail on a brand new adventure with a brand new partner. So be really careful. Make sure that your reward system lines up with your desires to build a great team around you. Remember that organizational excellence doesn't start with you. It is because of you. 
And if you're doing the right things, people are going to want to continue to deliver excellent value. Reward short-term goals with short, with small rewards, long-term goals with bigger rewards. And the ultimate of reward systems is an equity play. One of the things I want to make sure you, you've thought about is you're going to get whatever you measure. Some people make a lot of mistakes when they're trying to build a great team because they measure absolutely the wrong things. Spend as much time thinking about what's the result of measuring these things and what's the downside of measuring these items as you might in what should I measure. Let's say, for example, I say, all right, I want to measure time at the office. No, you don't ever want to really mention measure time. Till today's millennial generation, they don't give a shit about time. They want to come in at 10 and work till 7 with a three-hour lunch to go work out. And if they're delivering value, if they're getting the stuff done, if they're getting the job done, that is fantastic. Don't measure time. Measure something you care about. Don't ever mention measure activity. What is activity? You know, just recently I had somebody in my office and they are in, in charge of social media and they wanted to measure how many times people did a click through. Well, if, if I measure click throughs, what are they putting on the screen? If I, if, if they say right here, click here for a chance to win a thousand dollars, I'm going to get a lot of click through. But damn it, the last thing I want is a whole lot of people clicking through and I've got to reward a social media person for delivering me click through when the click through really ought to be somebody looking deeper into my content. So we don't ever really want to measure time. We don't ever really want to measure activity. And number three, we don't reward friendship. Your best friend is not a good hire. Oh my God, that's a terrible decision. Nor do you want to promote and hang out with your best friend just because at the office they're fun to be with. You've got to be really careful. Have you all ever heard the phrase, it is lonely at the top? By golly, it's true. If you're going to run an excellent company, if you're going to run an excellent organization, you can't be buddy-buddy with everybody. You've got to be cordial. You've got to be loving. You've got to be compassionate, but you're not drinking beer with them every day. It's not your, it's not your goal or your job to be their best friend. You eliminate, you erode some of the value you have as a real leader. If all the time you're jacking around with people. Now, within our, our organization, we have a very loose environment. Hell, we've got a kegerator in the kitchen. So if it's five o'clock on a hard day and we've really had enough, I mean, sometimes we'll go and have a beer and I don't want to go downstairs to the bottom of our building to get a beer. Sometimes I just want to go get a beer and I want it to be a cold, frosty mug of beer. I don't want it to be a nasty old can. So we've got a kegerator. But if I allowed a whole bunch of just jackass behavior around the the around the kegerator. And if I was involved in the jackass behavior, I'm going to wind up with an organization that is not in any way excellent. In fact, I'm eroding the very value that I said I'm going to build by being part of the jackass culture. Be very careful. Be very careful. What you measure, you're going to get. Don't measure friendship. Measure excellence. Finally, don't allow 
personal perks within your organization. So you don't hire or bring people in just because they're members of the very best country club. You don't bring in somebody into your organization because they're really cute and fun to look at. You don't bring somebody into the organization because they're the funniest person at the bar. You don't bring somebody in the organization because they've got a, uh, or 10 years ago, they had a number one record. You don't bring somebody in the organization because at your alma mater, they were a great running back. That's just a bunch of stupid crap. You bring people in the organization because they can consistently and time after time after time deliver excellence because you're giving them the right tools. You're giving them knowledge, training, you're giving them technology, giving them equipment, you're giving them a reward system, and you're giving them the freedom to go do it. So be careful what you measure. Don't measure time. Don't measure activity. Don't measure friendships. Don't measure personal perks. Be careful what you measure. What you measure, you will get. Your organization is either excellent or it sucks because of you. Period. I'm th- I'm, I'm thinking to myself right now. As soon as I said that, I said to myself, oh, my God, that's such a real statement. What if I suck? Then I'm the one that's got to change. My organization will not get better because I tell other people to be great when I'm a jackass. I build and have organizational excellence, not because of what I demand of others, but because of who I am as a person. Next. Every constituent has to be aligned with you. They might be aligned either with your mission statement or with your value proposition, but you've got to be aligned with every constituent. Sit down, write out your constituents, find out what are you doing to align them with either your mission or your value proposition. But your employees, they both have to agree with your mission statement and they've got to line up with your value proposition. Next, leveraging other people is critical to your value. In other words, taking other people and training them and giving them the tools is critical. And finally, building reward systems that promote exactly what you want is critical to your success. You've got to reward the best people or someone else will. Remember, share profits liberally, but ownership stays within the family. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a little longer than I thought it was going to be, but it, but it's important content. And I want to say to you that you're like my family. I have had the great opportunity to be around some great training, around some amazing people. And what I'm trying to share with you is some of the tools, some of the guidance, some of the knowledge that has led to part of my success. I bring this to you with with really true humility that I'm so pleased to be able to share this with you that I'm honored and I'm humbled by it. And I'm grateful you took time to consider how you can become the person that's responsible for organizational excellence. Hey guys, this is Mark Lewandowski thanking you for joining me today. I'm really excited that you're enjoying the content. It means a lot to me. And I want to encourage you to go deeper into this content by visiting my website at marklewandowski.com. On that website, you're going to find more information like blog posts 
and all of the other topics we've talked about thus far. And while supplies last, I'm going to give you a copy of my book called Rattle Your Cage. It is a bestseller and it's an idea stimulator. It's designed to help you kickstart your ideas, get more and more out of your day, more and more out of the way you think. And I'm excited about it. So go onto my website, go to the connect section, fill in the information, and I'll send a book to you right away. Again, thank you for being a part of the special things we're doing. Tell your friends and your family members where you're getting this good content. And remember that some is not a number. Soon is not a time. And damn it, luck is not a strategy.